Section forty one of Curiosities of Literature, Volume three. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Bruce Peary. Curiosities of Literature, Volume three, by Isaac Disraeli. James the First as a Father and a Husband calumnies and sarcasms have reduced the character of james i to contempt among general readers while the narrative of historians who have related facts in spite of themselves is in perpetual contradiction with their own opinions perhaps no sovereign has suffered more by that art which is described by an old irish proverb of killing a man by lies the surmises and the insinuations of one party dissatisfied with the established government in church and state the misconceptions of more modern writers who have not possessed the requisite knowledge and the anonymous libels sent forth at a particular period to vilify the stewards all these cannot be treasured up by the philosopher as the authorities of history it is at least more honourable to resist popular prejudice than to yield to it a passive obedience and what we can ascertain it would be a dereliction of truth to conceal much can be substantiated in favour of the domestic affections and habits of this pacific monarch and those who are more intimately acquainted with the secret history of the times will perceive how erroneously the personal character of this sovereign is exhibited in our popular historians and often even among the few who with better information have re-echoed their preconceived opinions confining myself here to his domestic character i shall not touch on the many admirable public projects of this monarch which have extorted the praise and even the admiration of some who have not spared their pens in his disparagement james i has been taxed with pusillanimity and foolishness this monarch cannot however be reproached with having engendered them all his children in whose education their father was so deeply concerned sustained through life a dignified character and a high spirit the short life of henry was passed in a school of prowess and amidst an academy of literature of the king's paternal solicitude even to the hand and the letter-writing of prince henry when young i have preserved a proof in the article of the history of writing-masters charles i in his youth more particularly designed for a studious life with a serious character was however never deficient in active bravery and magnanimous fortitude of elizabeth the queen of bohemia tried as she was by such vicissitudes of fortune it is much to be regretted that the interesting story remains untold her buoyant spirits rose always above the perpetual changes of a princely to a private state a queen to an exile the father of such children derives some distinction for capacity in having reared such a noble offspring and the king's marked attention to the formation of his children's minds was such as to have been pointed out by ben jonson who in his gypsies metamorphosed rightly said of james using his native term 
you are an honest good man and have care of your bairns among the flouts and jibes so freely bespattering the personal character of james i is one of his coldness and neglect of his queen it would however be difficult to prove by any known fact that james was not as indulgent a husband as he was a father yet even a writer so well informed as daines barrington who as a lawyer could not refrain from lauding the royal sage during his visit to denmark on his marriage for having borrowed three statutes from the danish code found the king's name so provocative of sarcasm that he could not forbear observing that james spent more time in those courts of judicature than in attending upon his destined consort men of all sorts have taken a pride to gird at me might this monarch have exclaimed but everything has two handles saith the ancient adage had an austere puritan chosen to observe that james i when abroad had lived jovially and had this historian then dropped silently the interesting circumstance of the king's spending his time in the danish courts of judicature the fact would have borne him out in his reproof and francis osborne indeed has censured james for giving marks of his uxoriousness there was no deficient gallantry in the conduct of james i to his queen the very circumstance that when the princess of denmark was driven by a storm back to norway the king resolved to hasten to her and consummate his marriage in denmark was itself as romantic an expedition as afterwards was that of his sons into spain and betrays no mark of that tame pusillanimity with which he stands overcharged the character of the queen of james i is somewhat obscure in our public history for in it she makes no prominent figure while in secret history she is more apparent anne of denmark was a spirited and enterprising woman and it appears from a passage in sully whose authority should weigh with us although we ought to recollect that it is the french minister who writes that she seems to have raised a court faction against james and inclined to favour the spanish and catholic interests yet it may be alleged as a strong proof of james's political wisdom that the queen was never suffered to head a formidable party though she latterly might have engaged prince henry in that court opposition the bonhomie of the king on this subject expressed with a simplicity of style which though it may not be royal is something better appears in a letter to the queen which has been preserved in the appendix to sir david dalrymple's collections it is without date but written when in scotland to quiet the queen's suspicions that the earl of mar who had the care of prince henry and whom she wished to take out of his hands had insinuated to the king that her majesty was strongly disposed to any popish or spanish course this letter confirms the representation of sully but the extract is remarkable for the manly simplicity of style which the king used i say over again leave these froward womanly apprehensions for i thank god i carry that love and respect unto you which by the law of god and nature i ought to do to my wife and mother of my children 
but not for that ye are a king's daughter for whether ye were a king's daughter or a cook's daughter ye must be all alike to me since my wife for the respect of your honourable birth and descent i married you but the love and respect i now bear you is because that ye are my married wife and so partaker of my honour as of my other fortunes i beseech you excuse my plainness in this for casting up of your birth is a needless impertinent that is not pertinent argument to me god is my witness i ever preferred you to my bairns much more than to a subject in an ingenious historical dissertation but one perfectly theoretical respecting that mysterious transaction the gowrie conspiracy pinkerton has attempted to show that anne of denmark was a lady somewhat inclined to intrigue and that the king had cause to be jealous he confesses that he cannot discover any positive charge of adultery against anne of denmark but merely of coquetry footnote the historical dissertation is appended to the first volume of mr malcolm lang's history of scotland who thinks that it has placed that obscure transaction in its genuine light End of footnote. to what these accusations amount it would be difficult to say the progeny of james i sufficiently bespeak their family resemblance if it be true that the king had ever reason to be jealous and yet that no single criminal act of the queen's has been recorded it must be confessed that one or both of the parties were singularly discreet and decent for the king never complained and the queen was never accused if we accept this burthen of an old scottish ballad oh the bonny earl of murray he was the queen's love whatever may have happened in scotland in england the queen appears to have lived occupied chiefly by the amusements of the court and not to have interfered with the arcana of state she appears to have indulged a passion for the elegancies and splendours of the age as they were shown in those gorgeous court masks with which the taste of james harmonized either from his gallantry for the queen or his own poetic sympathy but this taste for court masks could not escape the slur and scandal of the puritanic and these high-flying fancies are thus recorded by honest arthur wilson whom we summon into court as an indubitable witness of the mutual cordiality of this royal couple in the spirit of his party and like milton he censures the taste but likes it he says the court being a continued masquerado where she the queen and her ladies like so many sea-nymphs or nereides appeared often in various dresses to the ravishment of the beholders the king himself not being a little delighted with such fluent elegancies as made the night more glorious than the day footnote see the article on court masks in the early pages of the present volume for notices of the elaborate splendour and costliness of these favourite displays End of footnote. this is a direct proof that james was by no means cold or negligent in his attentions to his queen and the letter which has been given is the picture of his mind 
that james i was fondly indulgent to his queen and could perform an act of chivalric gallantry with all the generosity of passion and the ingenuity of an elegant mind a pleasing anecdote which i have discovered in an unpublished letter of the day will show i give it in the words of the writer august sixteen thirteen at their last being at tybalds about a fortnight ago the queen shooting at a deer mistook her mark and killed jewel the king's most principal and special hound at which he stormed exceedingly a while but after he knew who did it he was soon pacified and with much kindness wished her not to be troubled with it for he should love her never the worse and the next day sent her a diamond worth two thousand pounds as a legacy from his dead dog love and kindness increased daily between them such is the history of a contemporary living at court very opposite to that representation of coldness and neglect with which the king's temper has been so freely aspersed and such too is the true portrait of james i in domestic life his first sensations were thoughtless and impetuous and he would ungracefully thunder out an oath which a puritan would set down in his tables while he omitted to note that this king's forgiveness and forgetfulness of personal injuries were sure to follow the feeling they had excited End of section 41